Welcome to the Elite Form Podcast. Okay, Ground Zero, Episode 1. Today we start off with Brad Schmidt. Brad is the Associate Head Coach of Athletic Performance at Creighton University. As we discuss, he is a multi-year user of Elite Form. Uh, But first, a quick prologue to give you a sense of what you can expect from the podcast and why we landed on doing this. Uh, At a base level, we have a lot of great conversations that I think a lot of other people would enjoy, and uh, unfortunately, we're the only people to get to hear them, so it seems sensible to, to try to take those, edit them decently, uh, and get them out to the masses. Many of the people we'll talk to are directly inside of the world of athletic performance and strength conditioning, but we're going to make every effort to find relatable, extended strength conditioning universe, if you will, conversations to have that I think everyone will find interesting and a breath of fresh air. Regardless of the guest, the format's always going to be the same. We're going to have open conversations, tangents included, stories included, uh, everything that goes along with enjoying the person you're talking to and letting the conversation take you take you where it wants. The goal after that in terms of uh, releases, timing, we'll have a block of, of initially these four. And then after that, uh, we'll try to do one every two weeks. And what's nice is that based on uh, the responses we've gotten in terms of people willing to, to actually come on and be a part of it, we're well set to keep that pace well through 2020. So thanks so much in advance to everyone who's decided to give this a listen. Appreciate reserving the right to get better and smarter about how we do this. And without further delay, I give you Brad Schmidt. But um, obviously you've had a, we've known each other since you got Elite Forum. Yeah. Which would have been five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. So it's it's been a day or two. Yeah. Um, you mind going over a little bit about not specific to Elite Form because I don't want it to be a spiel, but the tech you guys are using. Yeah. Um, as well as then uh, some of the things you said about yeah. how you look at using tech. Yeah. Understanding how other people use it and what you're trying to get to here. Yeah. Uh, so right now, obviously, we use Elite Form. And we have been for five years, as you said. And then I use First Beat with women's basketball and volleyball, which is an internal load monitoring system. Um, one of the reps from First Beat, uh, we have a pretty good relationship with him, Matt Tardiff, and he does a good job of making sure that we knew what we were getting into before we purchased. Um, last year, we used iFleet to look at heart rate variability. And we did that with our exercise science. There's a guy by the name of Rowan Edmonds that we do some partnerships with. And so he used a grant to use it. And we used it with men's soccer. And volleyball. Is he here at Creighton? <clears throat> yep. Yeah, he's from Australia. And he used to work with the Australian Olympic swim team and did a lot of research with HRV. And so he had a buddy that kind of created iFleet and wanted to do some testing with it. Um, so we looked at HRV throughout the season with those two sports. And then when the season expired, so did the grant. So as a result, we were kind of looking for a way that we could still monitor HRV, but do it at an affordable expense. Um, And First Beat was one of those products that kind of fit the bill in terms of there's not a ton of variables, so I can look at just a few things. What are those? I can manage them. Sorry to jump in on you. What are those few things that you're managing, like from a first principle perspective? So here's what I... What are those core metrics? Here's what I emailed Matt, because Matt and I had actually spoken down at KU at Hootie's uh, Midwest Sports Performance Conference in May. And I said, well, you know, what what teams are you working with in volleyball that are using in Texas Volleyball? I just got in it. There's a couple teams in the Big East that were using it as well. Shout and, out Donnie Mapp. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Donnie is good friends with Nate Moe from South Dakota State, and I used to work for Nate, so I met Donnie a couple times at CCCA. I knew he was a smart guy, and I was like, oh, Donnie's using it. He's probably got a good use for it. Um, so anyways, I started to think about how, what do I want from technology, and what can I handle right now? Because with overseeing baseball, women's basketball, and volleyball, I'm essentially in charge of 60 athletes. Um, and I'm also married with three kids. So it was like, okay, how can I still have a family, manage 60 kids in the weight room, and look at practice loads? Um, so what I thought of was, first of all, I, I don't know what the receptivity of my coaches would be to, hey, let's get this load monitoring system and look at your practices and then see if we can improve them. Uh, so instead, what I told Matt that I was looking for is I said, hey, I want the ability to have HRV so that I can implement recovery techniques as needed. And I want the ability to monitor some of my conditioning sessions and improve athletes who aren't playing on the court in season so that <clears throat> we don't have the issue at the end of the season where it's like player X who never saw the court also didn't really practice because they weren't in the rotation. And now all of a sudden player X has maybe gained five to 10 pounds and they're, they're, they, didn't, they didn't do any sense of maintaining during the season. They actually fell back. So I need to find a way to keep these players at a certain level so that if an injury would occur or maybe all of a sudden a change in a rotation or just getting them to the point where when we begin the next offseason, they're not behind everybody, but instead they're at the same level as everybody. Uh, so I pitched it as that when I, when I started looking for what technology to use. Um, fitness, HRV, and then kind of that hold people account, accountable with, with uh, the monitoring system. And from there, first beat checked a lot of the boxes. The other thing was I didn't want to take on a ton of variables. So I think when you talk about things like Connexon, Catapult, they're, they're good systems, external load, yes. Uh, but I know people who have one man going through the data and that guy is buried. I mean, you know, my, my buddy at Utah State who works with men's basketball, they have a guy working with football who mines the data for Utah State with Catapult and that kid is literally 24 hours around the clock trying to go through the data and figure out, you know, what can I tell the coaches? What can, what can we do here? What can we do there? So I told myself, you know, I have to keep the variables as small as possible and they need to be impactful. So first B, I can really just, I can look at Epoch, I can look at TRIMP, which is their training impulse, and I can look at some of the heart rate zones. I can also look at the recovery test, which takes into account heart rate variability. So looking at those four things, I can get a lot of knowledge from what's going on with the players' bodies. And uh, as we got the system, volleyball got the Bluetooth system, so there's actually an accelerometer with that as well, so we'd get some additional data. Um, the Bluetooth, I don't have to be present at practice. It's a coin that clips to a chest belt, and I can take that coin and download the data anytime I want. So basically what I do is I go to practices on either Tuesday or Wednesday, all the girls give me their coin, I download the data from the week, and then I'm out. So I don't have to be present in every practice. Women's basketball, we got a receiver um, with just kind of their standard chest belts, which was about $1,000 cheaper. Um, and what we do with that is we ha it has to be on a laptop. So I work with the athletic trainer to have the software set up on both computers. If I can make practice, I'm at practice with the receiver and I'm getting the data myself. If I can't, then our athletic trainer Stephanie is doing it. And then I go back and kind of look at the data after practice has occurred. But what we did with our women's basketball coach was um, when I told him what I wanted to do, 
he was all about it. And he said, but he wasn't necessarily sold on wearing it for practice. So I said, that's fine. I said, we don't need to wear it for practice. Let's use it on our girls that aren't playing to keep them fit in case an injury occurs. And let's use it to create recovery strategies for some of our high minutes players. Um, I believe it was two years ago, I got a call from the BYU women's basketball strength coach. And he was asking me about injury prevention and how we were able to keep our girls so healthy. And I didn't even realize this at the time, which is bad of me. But the reason I, got, I, I was like, is there a particular reason why you wanted to ask me this question? And he goes, oh, were you not aware that three-year girls are in the top ten of the nation for minutes played? Well, we had just come off a stretch in our schedule where three consecutive games were in overtime. And we had two girls that were averaging over 40 minutes a game. Um, and luckily, you know, that season we really had very little injuries. And so what I clued him into was really, you know, Flan does a good job of managing his practices and the intensity. But, which is why I wasn't so concerned if he didn't want to use it in practice, but Flan is also a really smart guy. He's one of the smartest guys that I know. So I just would send him the data from conditioning sessions and email it to him. And as he started looking at the data himself and kind of taking what he wanted to take from the data, he got more and more intrigued by the system. And then the girls were getting intrigued because I was showing the data and talking to them about what the data meant. And the girls were like, hey, can we wear this in practice? And I was like, well, that's up to Flan. You know, so we need to ask Coach Flan. So I went to Flan and said, hey, the girls want to wear it for practice. What do you think about making it voluntary? And he was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. So what did the girls express what their motivation was for wearing it in practice? Like, why would they come to you in the first place? <laughs> well, I think every athlete like coaches kind of misunderstands the uh, internal load systems and they think of it as if I get a higher number I'm working harder than my teammates so they always want to know how high they can get and how hard they can work comes a score you got it so that's how, how they were looking at it is from a competitive piece but I I intervened to a certain extent but I also thought it would be good to kind of allow some Try of that to, to happen it. so yeah. I could leverage it exactly so then Flan said yeah you know that's fine if we want to voluntarily let them wear it we can voluntarily let them wear it and so as a result, <clears throat> the girls started wearing it to practice. I started sending practice data to Flan. The coaching staff started asking some questions about like, oh, well, why is it so high on this day? Why is it like this on that day? And so that opened up conversations to where we're at now, which is we're actually using the lap feature on first beat to categorize our drills and our training impulses so that now the coaches are going to be able, I'll be able to give them a good spreadsheet of, these are your high intensity drills. These are your moderate intensity drills. These are your low intensity drills. And our trainer and I can now use that to help with return to play. So we know the average trimp on all of our players for the month of October. Um, we have one girl that's returning from a minor hamstring issue. So we're going to use that for her return to play. Just and in case people who are listening to this don't know what terms you're using, mind mm -hmm. telling people what trimp is? Okay, so trimp is first beats training impulse. And it's basically looking at duration, heart rate intensity, um, heart rate their lowest heart rate reading or resting heart rate, and then also their heart rate max. Uh, and then they use an algorithm to come up with this training impulse number. And then based upon sport, first beat kind of gives an idea on, you know, if your trimp is above 175, then your training session can be classified as hard or gotcha. vice versa. And um, so then you took some feedback you were getting from sport coaches yeah. who already had some buy-in with the system. Yep. And then help them categorize basically things they were doing in practice yeah. based on that metric. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. And so now it's, it's um, it, we never set out with the intent to help the coaches create periodized practices. 
but that's where it's moved to. And I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that's what I was interested in. But I think that by having dialogue and allowing for openness with the coach, instead of just pushing that on him, we got to that point organically because of our relationship instead of me being like, we need to do this, you know, which when I was younger, maybe I would have done that, but being older, perspective helps. Sure. Uh, to focus on this individual example, <clears throat> did you always have buy-in from uh, that particular coach or yes. well, how was that process Well, for so you? a few years ago, we looked at some external load monitoring systems. Um, Catapult came in and did some demos and there was really no interest from women's basketball. Uh, volleyball had some interest. Men's basketball really didn't have a lot of interest. So it was one of those things where we knew that if that was something we were going to do down the line, we would have to find uh, a window of opportunity where we could get interest from the coaching staff. And I think the interest that I had from the coaching staff was over the last two seasons, I've tried to do a lot of helping our women's basketball staff understand, like, you know, as we as we get near the end of the season, you your practices focus more on the rotational players, and we have this stuff going on with these players. And it was actually our um, our coach for the post that started asking the post players to come in and do extra conditioning. That way, if they got called upon, they were ready. And so then we kind of started started expanding that to include some of the guards that weren't playing as much. And so then when we approached it from that angle, now the coaching staff or, or Flan specifically was more interested in something like first beat. Gotcha. It's definitely, so there's there's always the buy-in in terms of utilizing the tech, right, in a mm -hmm. true, call it athletic performance fashion. Yeah. Is that playing to budgets as well? Like, are you? For sure. And so that was one of the big reasons why I wanted to go with first beat, because first beat's price tag is so small that we didn't have to do outside donation fundraising. Whereas if we were going for an external load monitoring system that's north of $40,000. Well, now we're talking about getting our foundation uh, individuals involved in trying to get donations from boosters to be able to purchase something like that. I think the price tag was a big part of it. And I wanted to make sure that if I was purchasing something, it was just something that it was me, the sport supervisor and the sport coach making the decision. We didn't have to be like, hey, we oh. want this, and now we need to rely on somebody to help us with the fundraising. Gotcha. I wanted to be able to pull the trigger right away and get it and get it done. So they checked a few boxes, they being first beat, in the mm -hmm. sense that there was a particular way you knew you could execute on it. Yeah. And it had the metrics that you needed. Yeah. Um, and it had the price tag that you needed to mm. keep it more in-house with a particular sport. Yeah. And a group of coaches. Is yep. that fair? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. So, how in the world did you get us? <laughs> we, so, don't, we don't fit that model at all. Yeah, that's a funny story. Um, so, Dan and I were kind of familiar with your product, and we had had some discussions when the Championship Center was being built, and we were like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. And then we found out the price tag, and we were like, well, it's not that cool. it ain't happening. So, we didn't, even, we didn't even really think about it. But meanwhile, the whole time that the place was being built, our supervisor was continuing to encourage us to, hey, if you have an idea, bring it forth. If you have an idea, bring it forth. But we had been turned down on things like like a, a new dumbbell set, you know, which is, is expensive, but it's like, hey, we can't have $30,000 for dumbbells? Sort of a core item. Yeah, so, so we knew 
like, well, if we're not going to get 30K for dumbbells, they're definitely not going to give us X amount for Elite Form. And then one day, uh, our supervisor sends us this email, and it was KU Basketball using your product. And obviously, us, us being a primary basketball school, our supervisor was like, have you guys ever seen this product, and what do you think of it? And we said, this is... This, this is awesome. We would love this. We just didn't think we could afford it. And he said, well, let's see what we can do. And so basically, how I understand it, what we were able to do is we worked your cost into our building cost. So you guys were considered part of the infrastructure. And that gave us the financial flexibility to add it without having to do a lot of external fundraising. The world works in many mysterious ways. Very much so. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. But, but I always love to tell our recruits when they come in, this is Elite Form. You know, we're one of few schools with it. And just so you know, when they installed it, they gave it to us before they did the Orlando Magic and Duke Basketball. <laughs> well, there's an interesting twist. I, I always enjoy telling our recruits that. Yeah, the way the way people um, chat with their recruits and sort of, I'll call it pitch, mm-hmm. right? Kind of way things have gone on. We stay well away of that, but... Uh, it's always interesting to hear, nonetheless. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. So, first beat, mm-hmm. obviously our stuff. Yep. Um, anything else you're using? So, those are our two primary technology sources. Now, we also have force plates. Um, so, what we're working on right now is a collaboration with our physical therapy department and our exercise science department. We have two guys specifically in exercise science, Lee Barker and Jake Sedlick, who do a lot of work. Lee does a lot of um, work with like force velocity and so we are actually sending our elite form one sheets to lee and lee is helping us create force velocity profiles for all of our student athletes um, and then jake is going to be using our force plate data to kind of look at finding connections between our elite form data and our force plates and then we're going to start creating data profiles on all of our student athletes um, we're hoping to add something across the board to look at HRV, so whatever that may be, so that we can also kind of create some recovery strategies. But the model that we want to create is a data-driven performance model, and then once we get that up and running off the ground, which should be, we've had a lot of good initial meetings, but we're going to start some of the data collection in this month, actually, when men's soccer is done with their season. Men's soccer and women's soccer will be our first two sports to start on this new template that we're setting up for all of our student-athletes. But what the hope is, is that once we kind of get a handle on how we're using it from a performance perspective, then we're also going to turn it into an injury prevention model. You like that? I do like that. I'm thinking about it. So at Creighton, we have a, we're a smaller campus, and we have a tremendous amount of resources. So we're doing that in addition to I have a collaboration going on with our health, and we're one of the only universities with an accredited health, health and wellness coaching program. And we're actually starting a partnership. We've been waiting on the IRB to get approved by Creighton for about a month now. But once that IRB is approved, we're going to do a partnership with women's basketball and our health and wellness coaching area and look and see if we can start getting health and wellness coaching involved with our student athletes. And basically what they do is they come alongside of them almost like a cheerleader to say, okay, you're learning a lot about sleep, you're learning a lot about your sports skill, you're learning a lot about weightlifting, you're learning a lot about injury prevention, you're learning a lot about nutrition. What is it that you really want to zero in on, and Who's, how can we help you set these goals? So who is, who is you in that, the athlete? The athlete. <clears throat> so each athlete would be assigned a health and wellness coach that would come alongside them as an individual to help them decide 
what buckets they really want to put their focus in and what goals they want to create to work that way. So, so maybe this is a dumb question, but is the athlete the best person to make that decision? Yes, and here's why. Health and wellness coaching is predicated on the foundation of you have the power within yourself to push your life in the direction you want it to go. So what we're trying to do is help those kids set basically life goals or you know goals for those specific performance variables and then chase those goals because so often we're telling those kids what to do and this happens all the time and maybe Kyle can speak to this too as a, as a former athlete you almost you get done as an athlete and you walk into a weight room and you're like what am I gonna do I don't have a written program I don't I don't know how to put anything together sometimes as an athlete and not, not every athlete, but so many kids just put on autopilot and do exactly what they're told that they don't ever get that opportunity to be given the, the keys to their own performance vehicle. And so with the Health and Wellness Coaching Initiative, the idea is let's give these kids the keys to their car and then let's set up roadblocks to keep them on the right path. Is this post-career then that we're talking about? So long term, we would start to work towards something like that. But in the short term, what we want to work with is just those kids starting to understand and have the belief in themselves that they can set some of these performance goals and achieve them. So I'm just thinking this through, right? And I'm trying to think about the balance of, yeah. of that kind of initiative. So if, if you have some pretty intelligent student athletes, and you do, mm -hmm. right? And you're effectively trying to give them the keys to the car, to steal your phrase. Uh, what happens in the scenario where how I want to drive my car doesn't match up with what my sport coach envisions, doesn't match up with what my strength conditioning coach envisions? Yeah. Are you saying that becomes a collaborative process? Or it is collaborative are you going to retain veto power? Yeah, so it's collaborative in the sense that um, the athlete will meet with the health and wellness coach if the athlete is willing to give their permission to share that information then that health and wellness coach also meets with the sport coach myself our dietitian the athletic trainer and we have little uh you know like quarterly meetings where we essentially update on what the athlete's doing and talk about you know what some of those goals are and why or why not it might be better to steer them in a different direction so there's things at play behind the stage to also make sure that what our goals might be are being taken into account but at the same time um, you know Vicky Batista is, is one of the ladies that we're doing this with Vicky always gives the example of like you know you might be hounding on a kid about nutrition but maybe they're not sleeping at all at night and if they're not sleeping at all at night guess what that's impacting their nutritional choices and it's impacting their ability to absorb nutrients so now what if what if we steer them in the sleep direction because that's the direction they want to fix and then the nutrition improves as a byproduct of that It's interesting. We could we we could end up having one of those circular conversations on that because <clears throat> a in your scenario the athlete was sleep deprived in the first place. So there's some level of expertise that has to be brought. I mean, we're talking about young kids, right? Mm -hmm. To the student athlete, so they know they're not sleeping enough. Yeah. So at a certain point, it's just it's an interesting conversation. You've got. A lot of chefs in sort of that performance kitchen. Yeah. And so at a first principle level, the athlete's not the one who has the expertise. 
So there's yes. this reliance, right, yes. on the expertise of many others, right? And so you end up in sort of some version of a mentorship slash coaching slash self-guided tour mm -hmm. of performance. And that seems like it's an interesting balance to try to strike. And obviously you're just getting underway. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to... Yeah, we're just to speak to examples, but we're kind of hoping that the health and wellness coaches can serve as a central hub for where a kid can take some of this information that they're getting from everybody and help sort it out and decide what they feel is truly best for them. And then which it, are they? That's the student the athlete, athlete again. The student athlete. Okay. And then if the student athlete decides that nutrition is the best for them, well, then the health and wellness coach is going to be encouraging them to do more and more stuff with the dietitian to make sure that goals get in the right direction. Um, but the other thing, too, is, like, sometimes kids have, have goals that they don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing with a sport coach or with a strength and conditioning coach. And so we're hoping for some of that stuff to come out, too, where they can have assistance. And, you know, in speaking about this, I left out our mental health team, but our psychologists that we have on campus that assist our student-athletes with things like coping and anxiety, um, they're also a part of this initiative. So we feel that it's what we're trying to tackle is Creighton's primary mission is curia personalis. So in other words, putting this, the, the whole person at the center of the core of the learning experience. So we feel like this is a great way to kind of take the university mission and apply it even deeper to athletics. It's interesting. We, um, when we first got going, we had uh, a concept called the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so you can just imagine a chart where the athlete is in the center of the wheel, yeah. right? And then all of the components Right. Mm -hmm. All the touch points for that given athlete, right, are around the athlete. And we were trying to say, okay, well, how many of those can we as a tool influence, right? And then what other components are there where things like an integration, uh, obviously a lot of this was technology-driven, right? Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's in some ways a much more simple conversation than the one you're having here, mm -hmm. uh, given the level of expertise of all those individuals and then also trying to allow the student athlete to make, I would, I'm going to put words in your mouth, some informed decisions about where they want to take some of those things. So, so it's interesting, but yeah. So are you going to use, do you envision using a athlete management system to try to centralize some of this data? We talked about that, but then we also talked about, um, anytime you talk data, you now need to talk about who owns the data and whose data is it? Is it the athletes? Is it the coaches? Is it the universities? Um, so we feel that with something like this. Who's we? The team that's surrounding the kid. Health and wellness coaches, sport coach, mental health, nutrition, athletic training, athletic performance or strength and conditioning. In, in the conversations we've had, we talked about this is a situation where a lot of this data probably needs to be kept private. And so what we're doing is we're working with our on-campus IT staff. Would that staff. be analogous to like a HIPAA you got situation? It. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and like especially with our mental health stuff, that's definitely sure. we're looking at HIPAA uh, regulations and guidelines. With health and wellness, it, it gets a little bit more gray area, but we still kind of want to operate more so under the assumption of HIPAA and ask for permission to share whatever it might be that that student-athlete you know, is sharing with the health and wellness coach. We're putting we're putting a lot of trust in our athletes to be mature and to be responsible. It's a nice uh, way to put it. But I think that 
I think that more and more schools will start going to a model like that that's going to become relying on the student-athlete being compliant as opposed to forcing the student-athlete to be compliant. And the reason why I think that is um, I think kids are so much or at least believe that they're more independent than they've ever been before. And I think that a lot of kids, um, and maybe this isn't the best way to put it, have kind of a puffed up perspective of themselves when they come onto campus and oftentimes respond better when you're like, instead of just being like, I, I don't care what you did in high school for weightlifting, I think it's crap. So I'm going to restart you. Kids respond a lot better to, oh, you already did this movement in high school? okay, well, why don't you show me that movement? And if, if it looks good, then we'll continue with the movement. If it doesn't look good, then you do need to go through my progressions. Um, isn't, and that a, isn't that a fancy way of saying it's crap? To a certain extent, yeah, but uh, a, lot de- <laughs> a lot depends on how you pitch it. And as a company that sure. sells a high-expense tech product, I would imagine you guys understand the importance of phrasing things properly. Well, we do, but we don't, right? So we're a little different in that. Uh, we don't try to pitch, so we just let you bang on things for a while and decide if it works for you. Yeah. Hence the being a tool. Yeah. Um, now I find we've talked about this in the office quite a bit. Like there's a, sometimes there's a sense of these kids are different, mm-hmm. right? These kids are used to technology, for example. Um, there's a lot of cliches about millennials, but, uh, as the old man myself, like each generation says that about the new generation. Mm-hmm. So I have a hard time discerning how much of that is really true mm-hmm. and how much of it is just cliche, like yeah. an easy way of talking about younger people versus older, yeah. uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, yeah, I mean, certainly there, there have to be some differences. Yeah. Uh, like the amount of information you can get now compared to when I was, 18, right? Yeah. At the drop of a hat yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, but and there, does that I mean, necessarily mean people are well inf- more well-informed? That I don't know. There's some big things that we're facing, though, too, with this generation, statistically speaking. For example, I believe it's by 2024, the potential to have high school graduates enter your college will significantly decrease by about 10%. So all universities are starting to create master plans on how to attract student-athletes to their university. So don't get me wrong, winning will trump anything that you have going on. But at the same time, if we can present something that's unique and puts the athlete at the center of it instead of on the outside of it, kind of being pulled along by you know whoever the professional is, I think that's going to be attractive to recruits. Um, the other things that, that you look at with this generation is a significantly high increase in things like anxiety and depression. And a lot of it comes from the pressures of high performance. Um, and the Big East has been one of the conferences that's been at the forefront of mental health. In fact, we have a mental health summit every year that will actually be hosted on Creighton's campus this summer. I believe it'll be the, the third year, third or fourth year. Um, but I was out at Providence this last May, I believe it was, and went out there for the mental health summit. And, and we're doing a lot of good things to try to tackle that stuff. But also, that's where we think having this health and wellness coaching could also be a great way to help those kids deal with failure um, and move past it. Can we tease that apart a little bit? Yeah. Um, so you referenced this 10% drop. Mm-hmm. In, is that general, I don't know what study you're looking at. Um, is that like a general drop in overall student applications? Like No, exactly. it's birth rates. 
decreased in birth birth rates is lowering the age of kids at 18. So, for example, so basically the population is smaller. Yes, yes, for 18 year olds, yeah. And so what we're looking at Creighton, we actually have presentations going on on our campus right now um, by our like VP of the president's office um, who came and talked to athletics this, this past fall. And then we, we've set up like different task force on campus to try to improve um, campus enrollment through different programs and try to meet this challenge and make sure that we're prepared for it before it comes. So let me see if I'm summarizing correctly. So the population is shrinking, therefore you want to increase the percentage of applicants within that smaller population to at least hit neutral or? Yeah, because mo- most, like we've can, we continue to grow as a university. Mm-hmm. So the question is when we stop growing, who's gonna lose their job? Because now we've lost revenue. So how do we answer that challenge to either continue to get enrollment to grow or at least maintain enrollment where it's at when the pool of college, you know, uh, high school graduates is is shrinking? So there's a little bit of a trickle-down effect, it seems like, that you're trying to manage where, because my next question was going to be, and I'm not sure it's the greatest question, but so we can talk about a smaller population, right, and therefore... Mm fewer applicants but that doesn't necessarily mean it's fewer student athletes right no 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 so no. you've got this umbrella concern yeah right yes uh over it really sounds like university revenue yes and then the downstream effect of well maybe yeah. we need the, the i'm pro- making something up here off the top but maybe we need to call a couple of sports because we don't have the budget to to keep them going yeah yeah, I mean, that could be something that might be looked at down the line by universities, but, you know, a lot of athletic departments are functioning, I don't want to say independent of the university, but financially are essentially bringing in the majority of their revenue and no longer relying on the university to give funds for their budget. Um, but we still receive funds from the university for our athletic department budget. It is a lot smaller than, say, what we're bringing in ourselves. Um, but at the same time, if enrollment drops, then so will the university funding for athletics. Sure. sure. And that's a, that's definitely a real thing that you have to look at. Um, but as far as, you know, student-athlete population would only drop if those teams are cut. But on the bigger, bigger picture, it's how can we continue to be attractive because let's say that that maybe the pockets of those population are different. So now we're bringing in more kids from the coast and it's – why, why am I going to come to Omaha? Why do I want to be in the Midwest? Well, what can we offer that maybe some of those coast schools aren't offering to be attractive? To transition a little bit, what do you say to those kids now? Um, so to, to give you a little bit, bit of background, uh, like I grew up in Indiana, but I lived in California for a while. Mm-hmm. And so then as we considered like sort of a next move for family, you know, you had sort of there was the coast and then there was Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah. Um, candidly I was not really voting for Lincoln Nebraska to work out super happy that it did in hindsight yeah but so if I'm just thinking about that process and my attitude then yeah and now I'm trying to imagine an 18 year old yeah right with that same type of decision like what do you end up what's your spiel what's your what's your here's why Creighton uh you know I think it, it depends a little bit on the sport 
Uh, we Clear, obviously clearly tried it's, to do. We're going to let you run your own strength conditioning side oh, with all these mentors, right? Surely not that. <laughs> we're still writing the programs. It's just a matter of what the goal might be for the student athlete. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things that we easily sell to a lot of those Coast kids is the ability to get back to the Coast. So with the conference that we play in, it's easy for them to get back there and put on a show for their families. Their families are going to get to see them a fair amount. East Coast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, East Coast primarily. We don't bring in a lot of West Coast kids. So just our coaches. You said California earlier, so that's why I was. Our coaches don't touch a lot of the West Coast kids. Now, when we do bring in West Coast kids, what what our coaches talk to them about, or usually what they dig into before they even bring them on campus, is asking them, you know, what their aspirations after sport are, because some kids, you know, it might be their aspiration to go from the West to the East Coast, and if that's the situation, like our volleyball coaches, they do a great job of in a conference that's not always high ranking in RPI and right now you know Marquette and us are in the top 10 and that's the first time that that's happened in the Big East for like 15-20 years um, but anyways what our volleyball coaches will talk to some of those kids about is the potential of when you're done you've been to DC you've been to Philly you've been to New York you've seen all these schools on the East Coast and a lot of the employers on the East Coast are familiar with the Big East Conference and will recognize the Creighton University uh, degree on your application. And you also have an idea of how that town lays out and where you may want to be. And a lot of our student athletes are interested in that. That attracts them the potential to you know, understand the East Coast and move out that way when they're done with school. Now, with that said, one of our volleyball players did live on Pebble Beach and still came here and was part of our team for five years. So we found a way to get her in here. Pebble Beach. <laughs> I've never been. Well, I got a connection if you want to go. All right, fair enough. That'll work. That'll work. Um, so let's like stay. It's not actually not on the list. It's not going to help you to look. <laughs> I was let's, just looking at that one. <laughs> oh, well, that one's coming up. So... Um, so what other, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, um, like sort of what are other the hot, what are the hot topics like that you try to hit on with, with student athletes other than, I mean, there's sort of a conversation about graduation, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of, uh, universities do try to, of course, say, Hey, we prepare you, but you know, for a Creighton, a lot of the schools elite form works with, like there's arguably you could say a lot of kids are going to be majoring in their sport as well Mm -hmm. so from sort of more of the sports specific side what kind of conversations are you having i think for me as as a strength and conditioning coach what i always talk to the kids about is basically we're always looking to bring in good athletes and make them great and if you're a good athlete that wants to be made great, the weight room is a place that you can do that. And I talk to them about the differences in our programming and our capabilities before Elite Form and now after Elite Form and what we've seen. Um, we had one individual volleyball player. Um, she actually came from Lincoln, and she was able to increase her vertical jump so by super eight hard worker. inches. Eight inches. Yeah, totally, right? Um, but, you know, part of that was body comp improvements, strength improvements, but then also the ability to use velocity-based training and the improvements that we've seen with velocity-based training. And I think when we use velocity-based training with a lead form, so frequently we have kids that miss the first rep and then they get the second rep. And the question is always, well, why can't I get the first rep? And I always tell them, well, because you didn't have the feedback, so you didn't give the effort. I think it's intent. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100%. Um, you know, and, and so I always 
talk to our recruits about that as well. Like we have the immediate feedback of where you're at. And I, and you know, I, I have this conversation with interns whenever they see elite form, they're like, Oh, that's so cool. Like you can do speed strength work. It's like, but no, like we can actually know the entire gamut. So if I'm doing heavy singles and one of my baseball players is getting a, a 0.5 meters per second and I'm like, Hey Billy, is that hard? And Billy's like, Oh yeah, it's real hard coach. And I can be like, no, it's not. I've seen, I know you can grind out a 0.3. You're two tenths of a second away from max effort. You're at circa max. Let's take it up 15 pounds and let's kick it in the ass. And and it gives me the ability whether I'm doing, you know, max loading, circa max, speed strength, strength speed, whatever I might be doing. And I and I explain this to the recruits, is I always know where you're at in your training process. And then in season, it serves as auto regulation too. Like if if I if I need a clean pole at a one eight and the weight that you hit last week, you're in, incapable of hitting this week. We know that that's probably somewhat fatigue-induced. So we're going to back off a little bit, make sure you got enough gas for practice, and just push through at the weight that we can handle. Uh, so I think elite form's a big part of the pitch that I give to our student-athletes. And then, of course, I pitch them about uh, like our nutrition station, the availability of food, what we have. Um, but I also pitch them the importance of the people that are on our campus. When you look at the Creighton Athletic Department staff, a lot of people have been here for an extended period of time, That's true. which I think tells you something about this place and that there's something special going on. And, and almost every single one of our athletes, when they get done, whether they in, enjoyed their sport experience or not, and by sport experience, I mean playing time sure. or saw the success that they thought they'd see in their sport, almost all of them always agree that they're happy that they were here because of the people that they were surrounded with. Can't beat that. No. No, and, I, and I, I, one of the other things that's really easy to tell our recruits is who they meet on their visit is who we are when they're here. And not a lot of kids get that. The transfers that we get in that talk about hoodwink stories during the recruiting process sure. is unbelievable. And our, our volleyball coach, Kirsten, and our women's basketball coach, Flan, they are not like that. They are not going to do that to you, nor are our baseball coaches, Connor and Eric and Ed. Like, they, they don't do that stuff. Who you see is who you get, and if you choose to come here, they treat you the same way that they treated you when you were recruited. Well, it would seem like, and I think we feel this way as a company, as trite as that sounds, there's a value downstream to being candid. Mm-hmm. Like if I think you use the term hoodwinked. Um, I'm a fan of using the term grin fucked, but <laughs> uh, there is a downstream effect to that, like leading people on, right? That yeah. gets pretty hard to recover from at a certain point. Yeah. But like being candid is easy. Yeah. Hey, Brad, that lift from the floor with a trap bar that's different from any other trap bar we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. We may not track that down that well. <laughs> it might take a little time to sort out, yeah. right? Yeah. You know it. You know we're working on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can just kind of take it from there. And I've got to think, to a certain degree, um, and not to write your Hallmark card, but this is a great reason to have you on, right? Yeah. Like, always been candid like candid in conversation period yeah and i've got to think that plays well for you guys downstream yeah um, particularly when you, ha- you know, have kids around four or five years yeah like it's it's one thing like you're one or two like you know the yeah. lights at the end of the tunnel but then when you never yeah. quite get there that, that can be tough on everyone so yeah. can we go back to when when you bring athletes in mm-hmm. so you talked about um Increasing an athlete's vertical jump by eight, right? So, are you doing an initial assessment when freshmen walk in the door to figure out? Like we joked 
a little bit earlier about potentially that program was crap that they came from. Yeah. Right. Um, they may have never been under a bar or, mm -hmm. you know, they may come from, let's just have fun with it, like an IMG situation Yeah. where all the tools, yeah. all the resources yeah. were right Everything there was for there. them. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, how do you try to get a bead on who you have coming in the door? I, a lot of times talking to the coaches first and foremost, but it, it's, it's having talking the, to your coaches here at Creighton coaches or? here that recruited okay. them. Um, but it's about asking the right questions. So it's not, Hey, tell me about, you know, tell me about Sally. What's, what's she like? I ask questions like, is this kid explosive? What do you mean by explosive? Do you have footage? Can I see some footage? So I'll kind of watch some video on some of our recruits with our coaches from time to time. I'll ask them for specifics of what they think about the kid. And then I'll ask them for, what do you think they need to start on day one? And then from there, I kind of create an idea of what I want to do with that kid. And then, you know, everybody on our team, we always go through a similar assessment. There's going to be some type of jump. Some teams might do like a standing long jump and a vert, or they might just do a vert. With volleyball, we do a two-hand standing, you know, which is pretty typical. Most volleyball coaches are going to test that. And then we do an approach jump with a single hand touch. And then we'll do a body composition. And then we do like a agility and a speed. Uh, and so we look at some of those numbers and compare them to people that have come through our program that were in that same position as them. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll also look at what we might know from numbers across the country. You can always find numbers on, uh, volleyball has all kinds of numbers on, this is a top recruit, this is an average recruit, sure. this is a below average recruit. So we'll also look at that and then I share that information with the girls. And I say, here's where you're at in relationship to the team, here's where you're at in relationship to the players that have played here before, and here's where you're at in relationship to elite recruits. These are the things that I think we need to do to get these variables to go up so that you can participate on the court and not just on the sideline. And oftentimes, having those conversations and using the data in that way, it, it helps that kid understand like, you know, I do need to improve my body comp. Brad just isn't being rude and telling me that I'm overweight. But it's that conversation of, your body comp is here, but if we could get it here and we got you stronger, I mean, we're talking about a three inch improvement on your vert in a year, as opposed to if we don't do anything with your diet and we just get you stronger, we'll probably see you go up an inch. And, and it's helping to educate that athlete on the interplay of all of those performance variables. And so then to circle back to the initiative you were speaking of earlier, mm -hmm. you feel like that's a part of the mentorship that's going to lead into the student athlete taking ownership and saying, you got it. Yeah. Because there's individual meetings going on with the sport coach, with me, with the dietitian. You know, if they need mental health services, they're going on there too. Uh, so we have those conversations about this is what I think you need to improve on. And then that health and wellness coach would almost be, I don't know, you could say the auditor on the goals. Like, did that kid actually bring that up as a goal? And if, it, if it's not, at least I have that feedback loop from the health and wellness coach to tell me, hey, I know that you're telling this kid that these things should happen, but they really aren't interested in that. You may have said this earlier. Um, so sorry if I'm asking you to be redundant, but can you um, talk a little bit about what the background is going to be of that health and wellness coach? Like what, like basically, you know, who, just from a, a roles perspective, right? Like who are they going to be? Yeah. What is their background going to be? Cause one of the conversations that's happening a lot, I think in our world right now mm -hmm. is like literally who's in charge, right? Is yeah. it medical? Yeah. You know, is medical sort of stepping on the toes of strength conditioning? Yeah. Um, can we all play nice? 
yeah. that kind of thing. So for the model that you're discussing, discussing here at Creighton, um, like who is that going to be? Yeah, so the two health and wellness coaches that we're working with, one has a background in counseling and was in the nursing department as an instructor, and the other one was actually in charge of wellness at Offutt Air Force Base and did that for a few years and then got linked into the health and wellness coaching is now a professor for them as well. Um, so she has a background in a variety of things, yoga, Pilates, um, group fitness classes, things like that. And then she also does has some uh, nutritional knowledge that she's used at Offutt Air Force Base. And then like a lot of what she did dealing with at Offutt too was like smoking cessation and dealing with bad habits and how to get people to correct them. Um, but basically what they try to teach them in the health and wellness is they have to do as projects they'll do like a one-on-one -on -one with somebody and try to get that person to identify a bad habit that they might have that's leading to detrimental health effects and then try to create intervention strategies for them that the individual implements on their own to get rid of that detrimental health um, choice and then some of the other things that they'll do is like they'll set up different scenarios where they might be working with a corporation and the corporation seeing this with um, you know, maybe their blood pressures or whatever. How can we implement a global strategy to try to improve this? So a lot of them, it, it's almost that corporate wellness kind of feel and experience, but then they also have that background in counseling. Um, but it's not a situation where they're doing what mental health professionals are, nor are they doing what strength and conditioning professionals are. They know a little bit about each area, and their primary goal is to try to help that person understand Oh, right here on my whiteboard, I was just having this conversation with one of our baseball coaches, the uh, math versus the mass. So motive to, to avoid failure versus motive to achieve success. And that's kind of what that health and wellness coach wants to help those individuals get is, okay, how can you be motivated to achieve success instead of being so worried about failure? And then what goals can we set up that's going to improve your self-confidence and we can knock these dominoes down and then take on the big cat goal? What's the big cat goal? So, like, maybe maybe the big big cat goal is I'm going to improve my vertical by three inches. Okay, well, here's what you need to do. You need to improve your nutrition, and you need to improve your strength. So I'm telling the kid this. Meanwhile, this 18-year-old kid is like, what does he mean, improve my nutrition? So goes to the dietitian. Dietitian says, okay, here's your caloric intake. Here's where it's at. Here's where it needs to be. Here's how we need to choose the foods that we want. Well... I don't even know how to cook broccoli. Well, then they go to the health and wellness coach and the health and wellness coach can be a little bit more detailed about, here's how you cook broccoli. Here's some of the things we can do. So let's set up a goal. Let's learn how to cook broccoli. Let's not even worry about eating right. Let's just learn how to cook broccoli. So your first goal is to learn how to cook broccoli. If you can learn how to cook broccoli in a week's time, we get to check this box. They cook broccoli, check the box. Okay, next week. Now, can we eat broccoli every single day or six days out of the week. Okay, you did that, check the box. Okay, now let's look more globally at your nutrition. Are you getting enough vegetables in your daily diet? Check, and then moving, moving, moving until the point where the athlete realizes that they've improved their nutrition. Well, now the health and wellness coaches had, had helped them to take the baby steps to that greater goal that I wanted, which was better nutrition, which outcome can be three plus inches on the vertical. So you see what I'm saying? So the, the health and wellness coach is going to kind of get in the weeds, whereas the strength and conditioning coach and the nutritionist, we're going to stay a little bit more 
looking at the forest. I find it interesting. The cynic in me sees it as a bit of a hard project to manage Mm -hmm. with arguably the wrong person at the center. Yeah. Uh, But I'm super fascinated to see how it plays out. So, because it's one of those situations where do all of the components need addressed? Absolutely. Yeah. The debate seems to be what's the best way to address them. Yeah. And I'm not sure anybody has the answer to that. And it's going to vary student-athlete by Mm -hmm. student-athlete. Because motivation is always a very fickle thing. Yeah, it can be. And that's where we're hoping that the health and wellness coach alongside of them, cheering them on, being that buddy, being that that, uh, grown-up, close mentor of, you can do this, you can do this, is hopefully going to be the right... Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do a follow-up and see how that's going. <laughs> there's a certain point, and I know that, and I'm going way back, but uh, there's that point of there's you can do this, you can do this is effective. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, I needed a, hey, get your head out of your ass. You need to do yeah. X. Yeah. Uh, and I, that that is, I think, uncomfortable for a lot of people yeah. today. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that you have to think about, too, though, in terms of, who's at the center of this is who has the time to be at the center of this because the right answer to who's at the center of this might be the strength and conditioning coach or it might be the dietitian but we all know that if i have 60 kids that i'm dealing with in the weight room how am i going to be at the center of all their lives and helping them manage nutrition sleep strength and conditioning sports skill mental health i can't i I just can't there's not enough time in the day the mental health professional can't be that person and so what we're trying to do is take this person with health and wellness coaching that has a little bit of knowledge in all of those areas and then use us to kind of help feed information to that health and wellness coach to help you know bring their knowledge up but also keep them up to speed on what's going on with these kids and then have them serve as an intermediate between all of us to the kid makes sense and, you know and in a it's perfect just an interesting world, you know who should probably know be in the middle of it up. Maybe mom and dad, but <laughs> yeah. But then you get into the mom and dad are too involved. Yeah, mom and dad become too involved, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so. I think um, I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens. No, it's fascinating. The goal is to just do women's basketball this year, and then assess, see how it went, see what went well, and if we feel like it was good, we're going to try to add one or two additional teams next year and expand it to three. If it goes well with those three, then we're going to try to get where we can expand it to all of our student athletes on campus. So do you, would you, do you see it as a staged rollout based on sort of premier sports or is it, if it works for one, we're going to hit everybody? Kind of premier sports and then then branch out from there. But, you know, getting back to your cynicism. uh, That's a nice way to put it. That's part of the reason why we're starting with one because there's people that are involved in the process that are skeptical as well but you know it's a it's a situation where more and more we're being asked to find new ways to collaborate there's so many resources on a college campus that for athletics to operate in and of themselves that's just not a smart idea there's so many people like our baseball pitching coach he deals with our business department doing analytics for his stuff we're going to be dealing with exercise science to do analytics for us and there's lots of things going on on our campus. We, we do good partnerships with counseling services to offer mental health. Um, so why not take advantage of all of these things on our campus? 
Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, and every every industry really is going to be faced with the reality that as expertise broadens, mm-hmm. it becomes harder and harder for any one person to hold that expertise. Yeah. So a sense of which how you collaborate um, is always going to be a working challenge. Yeah. Particularly as, as knowledge gets deeper and deeper. So um, it's just a fascinating thing uh, to figure out how you take you know, 18-year-old kids mm-hmm. and give them the keys of a car they don't know how to drive yeah. effectively, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, we'll have to... They'll definitely have to be in it. Uh, a Brad and Skip <laughs> episode two. All right. We'll right, where we come back yeah. and... Yeah. Well, hopefully we do that anyway um, and go through something like this. So, you want to move on to something a little more lighthearted? Yeah, what do you got? So, Malort. <laughs> Chicago's finest. It's um, well, you mentioned earlier bad habits, right? Yeah. And uh-huh. how how do you manage bad habits, right? Maybe remove bad habits. Malort um, is the, the unofficial drink of elite form. Uh, Whether it's right or wrong, oh, it's wrong. <laughs> um, no matter how you want to look at it, uh, there's a level of wrong. Um, and so, one of the things that we want to do with the Elite Form podcast is not always be. Like, you and I actually had a very somewhat serious conversation, mm-hmm. and then five minutes after we're done, we'll be laughing about something. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> but, so in the spirit of hot ones, um, we thought we'd share our unofficial drink okay. uh, with all the folks that we talk to, our friends, etc. And I'm wondering if you just want to share, some, have a, a Malort moment, as I've been joking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to kind of close things out. Are you open? Yeah, yeah, I think we need to do that. So, um, the anticipation is. Yeah, so only available wow. in the Chicago area. Wow. Um, there is a moderate chance that you really dislike this. Moderate. I'm just, just going to be. I feel like that's less than what I was expecting. Upfront about that. I'll look at Kyle and ask is that a fair, fair way to put it? That's pretty fair. Okay. Yeah. There's also, if you're interested, um, an interesting YouTube ad that you could go watch after having it. But I didn't want to share that with you initially because you I didn't want to spoil it. So you're one of the first people we've done this with. Okay. And so I will will share with you what's listed on the back of the Malort bottle, oh, wow. which simply says that Jepson's Malort has the aroma and full-bodied flavor of an unusual botanical. <laughs> its bitter taste is savored by two-fisted drinkers. All right. So, I don't know if that says too much about our staff at Elite Forum, but... It says something. <laughs> uh, so, thanks for joining uh, me. Cheers Thanks to for the Elite conversation. Right. So, that hits the spot. That's, um, that goes everywhere. <laughs> and it stays Throat, everywhere. Cheeks, tongue, nose... I think it's going to seep through my eyes. <laughs> That's uh, whew, something potent. It kind of makes me wonder how many times I'd have to brush my teeth to get the smell out of my mouth. I think the correct answer <laughs> to that is N plus one. You're just always, you're just always working on it. Uh, you know, I feel like I should, after trying this, flip the tables on the podcast a little bit and ask you a question. Um, Fire away. Who exactly is it that's really into this? at Elite Form. 
Well, all of us are. Oh, okay. So to be fair, so let me, I'll give you the epistemology of Malort in the uh, elite form office. So, um, strangely, we have a few high schools that we work with mm-hmm. in Chicago. And I say strangely only because it wasn't an expectation that we had, yeah. right? And so we went for a visit and uh, John Coates, right? so the guru of Elite Form installs yes. and hardware, uh, was aware of the beverage. Um, I was loosely aware of the beverage from living in Chicago. Um, I can't honestly tell you that I had had it before. And so John brought it back, and uh, I've known John forever. So I've, I've made the classic mistake, uh, cliches in the business world, that I've hired my friends. Okay. Um, all friends that are smarter than me, right, that I knew could do what we needed to be done, but they were still friends. And so when John says, hey, we need to try this. Uh, <laughs> you listen. There's not a lot of second guessing, right? I'm just going to be into it. So, um, yeah, tried it. I was amazed one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. That might be a word. <laughs> um, and so uh, it just became a thing from there, right? All right. So Avery tried to soften things up a little bit recently because um, he brought in Apronol. And we made a cocktail out of it. And so that recipe was uh, Apernal Malort, uh, a Rattler, I believe, yeah. and lemon. And uh, I can't do the Rattler. Uh, basically, wheat tell it tears my stomach apart, right? Yeah. So enough of that. I just did a nice 50-50 blend. Uh <laughs> And to be frank, it was pretty good. So, really? Okay. I mean, All it's right. going to soften this. Yeah. Right? I've never felt a drink in my eardrums before, <laughs> but somehow this has managed to find its way inside of my ears. That's one of the reasons it's, we like uh, it. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's an immersive experience. <laughs> Kyle's over here dying. We're keeping straight faces. Whew. Yeah. I kind of feel like... Uh, this could probably run my lawnmower for me in the summer at a great efficiency. Yeah, so go on to YouTube. Uh, I don't even care if this stays on the podcast. Go on to YouTube and look up Malort commercial. Yeah. And give that a watch. There's an amazing number of one-liners, um, one of which was it's like being picked on in the fifth grade. Uh, but there are many. Uh, it's 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 I mean, absolutely. I can understand watch. where they're coming from. Who's this Carl Jepsen guy? Mm. Any idea what his goal was in making this? <laughs> um, apparently, it, his grandfather's recipe okay. that he brought to the states in right. Chicago um, that we're that we're enjoying uh, right wow. now. But so it's a kick. Yeah. So is this. Every, um, I mean, what classification is this? <laughs> Just I believe it's. <laughs> I'm going to use a cycling term. I think uh, uh, it's beyond category. It's a blend. So yeah, or a category climb on that one. Well, hey, there's always room for trendsetters, right? Is that what it is? It's setting a trend in my body. It's this strange. I don't know. It feels as though I've inhaled the drink instead of consumed <laughs> That's it. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, what else should we talk about? Mm. Um, low wages for strength coaches. <laughs> Is that a thing? Well, I and think here's it- what I mean by that. So, <clears throat> I was just having a conversation with a coach, and we were. It's kind of a state of the union, state of the industry kind of conversation. Um, And this is potentially a save it for another day conversation, right? But so you have an interesting discrepancy in terms of uh, what some of the more well-known coaches make at some of your more favorite famous Power 5 schools um, versus the way that scales down to um, some of the even smaller D1 programs, yeah. right? Um, and then if you want to divide that up into premier sport versus non-premier sport, that creates changes. Yeah. Um, so to go back to what you said, how do you feel about like salaries across strength conditioning yeah. um, as a whole? I think one of the most disheartening things about our profession is entry-level jobs. So they'll pay you, you know, say 28K, but then they want you to have dual certifications and a master's degree. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, if it's an entry-level job, we either need to drop the qualifications or increase the pay. Because that's not really an entry-level job, in my opinion, if you want dual certifications and a master's degree. That's a job that needs to be offered 50K or more. <clears throat> and I think that unfortunately or or fortunately however you want to look at it our industry is full of a lot of really good guys and girls that want to work hard that care about the individual student athlete which is why they get into the profession and so now as a result we're willing to take that salary because we just want to get our foot in the door Um, you know I wish I wish we could do more as a field through whether it be the NSCA or the CSCCA to fight to improve some of those entry level salaries I think back to a job posting in your home, well, not your home state, but the state that you used to enjoy so much, California. Uh, this was probably five, six years ago, and it kept being reposted and posted and posted again. And it was in a major city, at a small school, and the pay was going to be twenty-eight k. And it's literally said in the description: expect to work sixty to eighty hours a week and most weekends. You need a master's degree and dual certification. And in the city that it was in, for twenty-eight k. I don't know where you're going to live. And so then it got pulled down and it got reposted at 30K. Got pulled down again, got reposted at 32K. And I don't know. And then, then somebody took the job at 32K. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, I, I don't even know what's going to go on. And, and then, you know, again, another example from out on the West Coast was we had an intern here with us that had interned at a, a Pac 12 school. And he was rooming in a two bedroom apartment with six people. Um, to so that they could afford rent, and all six of these people were sleeping in a two-bedroom apartment that was like 800 square feet, and that was how they afforded it, so that he could be an intern and do those kind of things. And I know for myself personally, I was an intern for three years, never received a salary, never, never once Not paid received anyway, n- never received a dime. But that got me the opportunity to have my GA spot, and then my GA spot, I got paid even less i remember calculating out what my hourly rate was and i was making about nine to eleven cents an hour depending on how many hours i worked and not that you don't have to pay your dues in the internship in the ga spot 
I'm I'm okay with unpaid internships and I'm okay with low paid GA spots because I believe the experience is really important. But then when you get the opportunity to be full time, there should be some good, you know, there should be some good compensation because some of those guys that are getting their first full time job worked as a GA for two years and made ten thousand dollars a year, and before that interned for probably a year, maybe more, and didn't make a dime. So in four years time, they brought in $20,000. So now that they have their first real, real time job, they should make more than 30K. And, and I also think that in my opinion, um, the salary and those qualifications also lead to an increased responsibility on our, our industry to be more responsible with what we're doing so that we're taking care of kids and we hopefully aren't having some of the stories that we see out there with you know, kids collapsing and this and that. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I've been a part of one of those stories as well. And, and it, luckily, there was n- nothing life threatening that occurred. But <clears throat> um, at the same time, some of those situations occur based on hereditary defects that we might not even know about. But then there's also pushing kids too far. You know, and, and, and I always tell I always tell our volleyball team like this. They get they get so fired up when we start our off-season conditioning because they think I'm going to kill them. And I don't know why. I've been here for eight years. I'm not going to kill them. They should isn't know that, that a, by now. Isn't that a cliche, though, that's <laughs> sort of rampant in sports? That we're going to kill them? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, But I, I always describe it as this. It's like the ocean, right? It, especially if it's cold. You don't go diving into it. You usually start on the sand and you walk your way down into the water. And I always tell our kids that's what we're going to do with conditioning. We're going to cover your ankles and your toes. Then we're going to cover your knees. Well, you know, I think most of them do. But some of the ones that didn't do anything all summer, then covering their ankles and toes feels a little bit more intense than just that. They feel like the water's up to their neck. But at the same time, I will say this. I'm not afraid to pull a kid out. Even if I know they can get through it, but I'm worried about their health. And and, and we've done that before. You know, or, or like... I think of some of my baseball guys who go and play summer ball, and then some of them come back for like maybe three or four weeks before school, and so we'll do some conditioning work. Well, the guys that came back maybe eight weeks before school, we're at a different progression. So I'll cut the volume 50 or 60% for that guy who it's his first week. And it's inevitable that guy's always in my ear chirping at me, oh, I can do all of them, I can do all of them. And I always tell him, I know you can do all of them, but I don't know that your hamstring and quad can. When really in my head, I'm worried more so about their cardiovascular system. But I tell them that to make them feel better. <laughs> Fair <clears> enough. <throat> uh, let's backtrack a little bit back to um, like pay, salary structures, yeah. that kind of thing. So um, there's a, there's always a chicken rig conversation that gets involved with something like this. Yeah. So you mentioned you know potentially there could be some organizational help from like NSCA, CSCCA. Um, other people might argue strength coaches need to become better negotiators. Like, like, where do you think some of that falls in line in terms of looking at the industry as a whole versus almost if, if you want to look at a university as a company, right? Yeah. Like how that shapes out in terms of um, if I'm football at a power five school, let's just say in the SEC, right? Yeah. That's one set of economic factors for sure right? yeah versus uh not picking on anybody mountain west no yeah. disrespect right is going to be a different type of conversation um i mean it feels somewhat similar to almost a minimum wage style argument yeah. right like 
do you have thoughts on on how you'd factor all of that in? I mean, I, I think it's fine to let the competitive market take place in terms of if you're at this school, you get paid that. If you're at that school, you get paid that. My beef is just with entry-level jobs and paying a guy 30K that has a master's degree. Gotcha. That's where my beef lies. I would like to see a set standard for the bottom rung. The bottom rung has to be at X, and this is a recommendation per this organization. We would advise you to go this route. Now, schools probably aren't going to do that because here's the deal. When I applied for this job at Creighton, you know how many applicants there were? 120. So if I wanted to turn down a 30K offer for, for a job, guess what? There would have been 119 people ready to take it. So the market's saturated and yeah. you can be lowballed because of it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, what quality of individual are we giving, getting if we've had people that we feel are well qualified for position turn it down because of the pay, and then we choose somebody that's willing to accept the pay? And that's not always the case. But it might be the case here or there. And then, you know, what happens if you get an unqualified individual and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, half the volleyball team's out with back injuries that occurred in the weight room? That's a major issue. You know, I think a lot of people may not fully grasp the extent of hyperextension and rotation in the sport and what that does to the spine. So does it make sense for me to maximally load their spine constantly and all the time? Mm. I don't know if they're going to do all that hyperextension and rotation at the same time. We know that that's really one of the worst movements for the spine. Then maybe I need to back off on their back. But if you bring in somebody that maybe doesn't think that way, well, now all of a sudden. Well, and here's the rub, right? Yeah. So we started that by talking about salaries, right? Compensation packages, et cetera. The last portion you just went through, rotational factors, who understands that? qualified individuals right and are those the people that are then setting those standards like it's it's an interesting conversation um and it gets sort of gets into personnel management to some degree yeah you know who because i would agree with you like i've seen plenty of staffs we work with a lot of great people and i'm always amazed at um how well degreed for lack of a better way of putting it a staff can be how strong they can be with their student athletes and they're still fighting the same conversation. Yeah. Right. And so, um, obviously that's evolved over time and you have to evolve your way out of it. Um, but it doesn't, certainly doesn't seem like there are any easy answers because it becomes very difficult to speak to the expertise of a well-qualified, well-motivated, uh, strength conditioning athletic performance professional yeah um not to string yeah too many too many things together there but um at a certain point there's always this consideration of are you qualified to make a judgment right yeah um and with with the world we're in that becomes very difficult i think yeah because you can't you can't go into HR and talk about rotational forces and have anybody know, <laughs> know yeah. what you mean. But but that leads to the importance of making sure that you have somebody involved in the hiring process that knows about the field. And oftentimes, <clears throat> supervisors of athletic performance or strength and conditioning might not necessarily be qualified to be supervised in that area. I think that we are a specialty group, just like athletic trainers. Um, so how, then, does the, that, how does that hiring process work then? So... 
it depends on the positions, but obviously if it's an assistant coach, the head strength and conditioning coach is involved in that process, and they're usually qualified to make that assessment. Well, one would hope. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're hiring a head strength and conditioning coach, things can be different. You know, um, we're lucky here at Creighton. We had Dr. Beckley on campus who helped write the essentials manual, so he was a part of the process for hiring the head strength and conditioning position. So Dr. Beckley, with his knowledge, was able to provide good feedback to the athletic department and the athletic department people that were meeting in that head coaching position interview were really sport coaches and administrators that didn't have a background in strength and conditioning. But at least Dr. Beckley was a part of it because he he was able to make good assessments on whether or not this person was knowledgeable enough to have success. So I think that, that leads to a bigger question of what people should oversee or have oversight of strength and conditioning. And you know, so you're seeing it with some schools now especially at the power five level where um, that person that's overseeing strength and conditioning is now coined as assistant athletic director for strength and conditioning. So not only may, maybe they're running one team, but they also have oversight of that area. So they're hopefully involved in the hiring process of any individuals that are below that. Which then pulls them out of the weight room. And gives them another subset of jobs. Which I think is fine. Yeah, for sure. As long as they're motivated. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I think it's important that the administration has some type of dual role that knows something about athletic training and strength and conditioning, but can serve as an administrator and a liaison and kind of that, that, hey, I'm going to fight for these guys and get them to help you. Because right now, I'm sure a lot of coaches are doing some of the similar things that I am, which is going to people and fighting for our department to try and you know, get the right thing, and, and that's 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 all well and fine, but if we also have 60 to 80 athletes that we're trying to manage, that becomes a lot more difficult. So it, it helps and can provide a peace of mind to the strength and conditioning staff to know that there's already somebody in that administrative role fighting for you. That, exactly. That, that actually understands what you're doing. And we're lucky here at Creighton in the sense that our athletic director is a former coach. I don't know how many schools have that going on, especially now when athletics is turning into more of a business. But we are very lucky that our athletic director is a former coach because he understands the time demands that are placed on us and the um, not so straight line that we walk between work-life balance. And he and he's he's good about it. It almost and and this is where I was going with some of my questions. It seems like it almost gives you to have that person in that role a seat at the table. Yeah, uh, in for a sure. way that I think uh, I don't think it's unfair to say that that other coaches and other organizations are, are, are struggling to get to, right? Yeah. Um, and that's probably a conversation that should continue for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of hard to speak to organization to organization, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you guys know from going around, like I really truly believe that some of the smartest individuals out there are in this field. There's some really, really smart people that find a way to manage X number of kids, still write books, write you know, do podcasts, do do everything, and it's like, holy buckets! Like you're incredibly intelligent with the things that you can do. I mean, all you got to do is go listen to Cal Deed's presentation and walk away being like, <laughs> yeah, holy cow, the mad scientist is at it. But uh, well, there's they, also tell me if you agree with this. I don't. I also don't know that there's a better field to illustrate the Dunning Kruger effect mm-hmm. than a discussion of athletic performance and strength and conditioning. Yeah, yeah. Because there seems to be a lot of, I know a little bit, and, it, and I'm not even speaking to strength conditioning professionals, but um, like sometimes it's the sports coach, right? Yeah. I know a little bit. Yeah. 
but I think I know an awful lot, yeah. and I don't understand the hindrance I can sometimes be. Fair yeah. or not fair? Fair. Um, I will say this. I'm not trying to make you tiptoe around something. No, so sorry I'm not that. tiptoeing around something, but I've been in Creighton for eight years for a reason, and it's because my coaches aren't like that. And so oh, I think, thanks. you know, if we want to talk, too, about, like, wages and compensation, knowing what what's out there in the industry plays a big factor in whether or not you hang on at a particular school too because if you know what compensation is and and you maybe don't want to be at that power five level and so you you aren't trying to you know get to a particular specific place with your career then you start to look for what university can i be at where they leave me alone and let me do what i want (laughs) and that's just a simple way to put it and i feel like creighton's one of those places you know, and, and don't get me wrong, when I first started, of course, my coaches had questions, but they didn't have restrictions. They just wanted to be clued in. They wanted to know what was going on. And then as I gained their trust, you know, now when I sit down and meet with one of my coaches and I say, hey, you know, what do you want to see us do this offseason? The immediate reply is, I have no idea what you do and you're the professional, so just do what you want. So, All right, sounds good. I'll run away with it. Thank you. And then you... Moneyball style, hang up the phone because that's the answer you needed in the first place. Yeah, 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 right. That's good stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure that uh, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but I'm not sure yeah. everyone feels that way. Yeah, but in a perfect world, right? Isn't this how hiring would work? You'd hire somebody that's capable of doing their job, and so they need to stay out of your their way and let them do their job. Well, that's what Kyle may disagree. <laughs> But uh, hopefully that's what we're trying to do on a yeah. small scale at Elite Form as well because I am the dumbest person in the company. Okay. But um, that's absolutely true. But it, it, we could circle back to the student-athlete student leading themselves initiative. Now remember, don't get it twisted. <laughs> <laughs> they still have diet, dietary guidelines no, I, that they have to follow. I I, they still have practice plans. They still have strength and conditioning. That's, that's some Lord-induced having fun with it. All right, okay. But I understand what you're saying. So, I think uh, it's important to have the give and take with responsibility, for sure. And it's important to let kids feel like they have some ownership in what they're doing. Now, when I was at South Dakota State, our staff would read a lot about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And we talked frequently about how can we make our kids more intrinsically motivated? You know, how can we get away from dangling the carrot and get them to, like, be motivated I was to wondering if you going to point to the board. Yeah, yeah, the whiteboard. That's that's my baby up there. I love my whiteboard. <laughs> I understand the value of a good whiteboard. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, and I think that that was something that we were always striving to do up there, and it's always stuck with me. I just think it it's important if we can get these kids to buy in and really want to embrace the goals and not just do them because they're afraid of a punishment that might come or, or that maybe I'll devalue them if they don't do what I want them to do. And I think it's important because they're 18 to 22 years old. And Skip, as you approach 70, you know this. There's a lot of life ahead of you. (laughs) Wow. You jumped Uh, up to 70. There you go. But anyways, you know that there's a lot of life ahead of them. So if we can get them to embrace the idea of taking care of themselves and their bodies, I mean, it goes beyond college athletics, and they're a whole lot better for it. It, That's a very nice nice Hallmark card. We are changing lives one barbell at a time. There it is.